This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey, what's up, everyone? Carm Capriato. Welcome back to another episode of Remarkable Results Radio. You know, our goal is always to help advance the service aftermarket by supporting your business acumen. And we do it in so many different ways. And one of them is to have Dr. David Wyman on the show for your eighth time. Did you know that? I knew it was more than five. But I didn't know it was eight. You've been on eight times. I am I'm honored and, and I so appreciate you bringing your wisdom, Dr. Dave Wyman from Wyman Consulting, psychologist. And we have covered some really heavy topics on the show, David. Your shop's future is in your hands. Accomplish more by starting now. That's the motto of Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care exclusively endorsed vendor. RSOT is helping shops all over the nation run a more profitable business by utilizing best practice marketing and coaching. Interested in Repair Shop of Tomorrow? Call 440-545-1230 for a free 20-minute, no-obligation consultation. You're never prepared to say goodbye to a friend, your car. And when I heard about this, I said, and, and David went through this big Facebook thing, and I reached out to him. And of course, Greg Buckley's a friend of his, and you're not necessarily in the same hometown, but you reached out to people that you know and say, oh my God, what should I do? Look at my little, look at my friend here. Tell me, tell me we can save this vehicle. It's like, Carm, why are you doing this? Well, because as you talk to your customers and they may be at the last leg on a particular vehicle, you've got to have some empathy there. We see this all the time. We see cars come, we see cars go. But I think this episode will really help us deal with the loss of a favorite vehicle. What uh, was interesting in, in sort of preparing for this and just thinking about in American culture, particularly how much the car is related to the person. And years ago, someone had posted online a list of cars. And if you own that car, what it said about you, <laughs> about your personality. I have been very blessed to know um, a really talented, now he's a fine artist, but was a industrial designer for years. And his paintings of cars capture the essence of it. His name is uh, Michael Zambelli uh, from Ventnor, New Jersey, and he painted a VW bus on the beach in Ocean City, New Jersey. It's a small painting that I have, but just captured just perfectly the personality of this vehicle. And so aside from that, one of the things that uh, I was thinking about just as you were doing the intro was the way that memory is created in the brain is connected to a lot of different things. So we might see something, for example, that creates a memory, but we also can touch something and that creates its own tactile memory. Psychologists often, when turning talking about something that we learn so well, it becomes unconscious, is driving a car. That in the beginning, everything is new and you're just, you know, when you're getting a learner's permit, when you're young, um, you're getting accustomed to everything. You've watched someone, if you had a parent or caregiver, drive a car in front of you or, or with you rather, you saw everything that they did, but we have to become super conscious of that when we're learning to drive. And then it becomes unconscious, so unconscious that psychologists also talk quite a bit about the experience people have of almost being in a trance while we're driving. And so they'll say, you know, have you ever had the experience of going through an intersection and not recalling if the light was red or green? or arriving somewhere and not having like this full conscious awareness of how you got there. So all of these memories are embedded in that thing. 
the feel of the steering wheel, how the shift works, um, where the controls are. You think about how often we experience that, that you get accustomed to it more as just something that you get into to go from point A to point B. And one of the things that's always been interesting to me as a psychologist is when you are working on a car in the repair industry, the service industry, you're doing this all day long. How do you stay attuned to the fact that for the person who's bringing it in, they know A, nothing about it, and B, are totally dependent on this thing they know nothing about. So there's a lot bound up in this, in our culture, in our psychology, and how the brain works. My car uh, expired before I was ready for it. And all of those things happened to me. So I got a really quick uh, refresher in uh, some of these concepts for sure. The word expired. It means so much. It could mean so many different things. By the way, ironically, my car is in for service today. And uh, I love my car. I hope to never have another one. I have an Acura and it's got, you know, paddles, you know, shifting paddles and stuff. And I love to, I, I guess it's all in my, I don't know, my tactile memory or something, muscle memory on how I do what I do. But I have fun with my car. I get it. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I get it, and I had that. And so you, uh, you thought the car was on its last leg, and you had to get a couple of opinions. Yeah, and that experience all by itself, and I've been very fortunate in, I guess, having friends in the, in the field, but also the way that uh, Greg Buckley of Buckley's uh, in Delaware reached out to the shop where the car was. How they communicated reminded me of how specialists in the medical field communicate about something. So if, if Costas was the primary care physician, you know, Greg was the cardiologist, um, or in this case, I guess the orthopedic surgeon based on what happened. Greg was on the phone with them. They were sending him the x-rays or the MRI, like, you know, he asked for pictures of what was going on and they shared that. And at no time did anyone in either shop make me feel like, they were just dealing with a, a machine that I used, like a fan, you know, in the in the office or a heater or something. They were all, and I guess they have similar values around this, but they understood because Costas had taken care of that car for years. They knew that I was that I loved it and I was planning to keep it forever. And so when they delivered the news, they were sort of appropriately empathic. They didn't say, "Hey, this is what's busted," and you know, you got to figure out what to do with this piece of metal now. It wasn't like that at all. Like, in fact, I think that's part of what helped me understand the seriousness of what had happened to it, which is that the subframe was corroded out. Um, but it did feel medical. Like when Greg was describing what needed to be done, and eventually we towed it from Philadelphia, the Philadelphia suburbs area to Buckley's in Wilmington, it was like talking to a doctor. He's like, well, you know, we can do the knee replacement or we could, like he was describing what the various options were. I'm almost certain that Greg has sent me a picture of himself in a white lab coat, but uh, as, as the car doctor in the way, but. We talk about the alignment to the medical industry so much. As cars get even more complicated than they ever are, but there's so many different pathways to repair and to fix and to diagnose. What an incredible parallel. Thank you for, for bringing that up. Dr. Greg, right? Uh, lab, coat, lab coat Greg, yeah. I guess in that parallel as well, when you are using something to get somewhere, whether it's a car or a bicycle or a scooter, 
you're interacting with that thing the way you were describing the pedals um you know the with the with the Acura aside from the muscle memory there it's a very different experience for example when you drive somewhere than when you walk there you're seeing things in a different way you're noticing things that are different when you're walking because everything is slowed down um, than when you're driving. So part of the experience was also when I dropped the car off at Costas and didn't realize that I shouldn't have been driving because of the condition that it was in. Like I thought it was unusual that the steering wheel was like this, but you know, the car was going straight, but all of that was explained to me. And in a very similar way, it's like, if you have pain in your knee, there could be five reasons why that's occurring. Once you find out why, it helps kind of focus the decision-making. So another piece of this for me was the service professional has to kind of think through how to present the options to the customer like me in a way that you can understand so that you can make a decision. That's another piece where Greg was extremely helpful in kind of narrowing that down because in the psychology of decision-making, the more options you have, the less likely you are to make a decision. They have found this in consumer products when people go into a grocery store and they see too many brands and types of jams or jellies. They often leave with nothing because it's too confusing. There's too many options there. But another piece of this, the psychology of decision making is as a shop owner, when you're presenting the options to a customer how do you do that in a way where they can process what you're telling them and make a decision? Because you don't want them to take five days to figure it out either. Now, in my case, the car couldn't safely be driven. So one decision was taken care of, which is I couldn't drive it away from Buckley's. <laughs> that wasn't going to happen. But Greg had kind of staged out what to do, not just what the options were, but what the steps were for each option so that I could decide that. Dr. David, was it too technical? A lot of times we get into the thing and we, we, we just over-tech over talk our people. He uses photographs. Greg uses video quite a bit in his work as a way of getting over that. And I think that was super helpful. I didn't understand like how, every, how the hip bone was connected to the leg bone necessarily, but the way that he described it and he showed me a picture of it then I could see what he was talking about because that's another piece that you're super familiar with. Somebody who's technically proficient can look under a car and see right away what should be there and what shouldn't be there, like rust or corrosion versus something else. It was well explained with pictures that Greg sent me. What I was looking at and why this repair would be as complicated and expensive as it was. Hey, have you visited the Napa Auto Care member site lately? Well, since its relaunch in 2020, the Napa Auto Care member site has continued to evolve to keep members updated on all the Napa programs, promotions, member benefits, and business building tools to help your business thrive. Some features to the member site include never miss an update, stay current with notifications and announcements on the homepage, and view the dashboard featuring your shop's financial status. Also, take advantage of cost-saving member-exclusive promotions and a faster automated 24-24 peace-of-mind warranty submission process. Submit re-repair claims directly on the member site and easily check the status there as well. Now, typically, the claim is settled and EFT or credit card payment is sent within 48 hours. 
Turn searches into a new customer with a referral tracker. Now learn more about how a consumer Napa online search for your shop can generate new customers at no additional cost to members. Use this popular customer tool to evolve your marketing strategies and to get the most business value. Own more than one Napa Auto Care? Link all your facilities to one login and access all the facilities to one user. You can also access the Shop Napa Helm or Pro Office website directly. You can also submit a pro-image free look for a sneak peek at how you can co-brand your locally known name with the nationally recognized Napa brand. Also, submit online ASE certification renewal and test reimbursements. You also get exclusive access to dozens of industry-leading programs and solutions. Now, if you're a Napa Auto Care member, visit member.napaautocare.com to access the member portal and take advantage of these many member benefits today. Now, if you're not a Napa Auto Care Center, contact your servicing Napa Auto Parts store to learn more about how to join the Napa family. As you saw this evolve, where was your, oh my God, I'm going to lose this friend, this car that I've loved for so long, and you had to come close to making a decision? When they sort of gave me the initial impression at Costas and explained how involved this was, like what what had to come off the car and be replaced. I started to get worried because the car was 15 years old with 160,000 miles on it, but I wasn't aware of how much corrosion had happened underneath the car because that's something I can't see. Um, And the further that Greg explained where all of this was, how deep into the system and what's above, if you're looking at the subframe what's above that, what's everything is connected to, the hip bone connected to the leg bone, and what could potentially be there, there was almost no end to what was corroded or rusted is essentially the issue. And the idea that if we take these things off, we can already see there's rust on the exhaust system, for example, even handling that could cause that to break. That's just what we can see. The unknown Versus the known, when when I was told what the known repairs would cost versus what was yet unknown and how that could balloon that. And also, do you want to invest that much in a car that has this degree of corrosion? When friends have told me, you know, they had a beloved pet and they took it to the vet because the pet wasn't walking correctly or something like similar to that. And then the vet explains to them all the things that have to happen to you know to save the this beloved family pet. It's not the same thing. The car is not an animate object, and, and I'm not comparing it for that reason at all. But the idea that what it would take to save this car would probably exceed what I mean would exceed what the car was worth, and then what would you have? You'd have something that might have continued problems. So that it was that conversation with Greg. I did not want to put him in the position of telling me what he would do, because I think that's unfair to ask a service professional to do. It's not their car, it's yours. But he was helpful in explaining like, yeah, if these are the, these are the things that we look for in terms of whether or not it's worth repairing a car. And, you know, this is your, o out of, your zero out of three for the things that would make it worth doing, as I recall. I know there's so many owners and service advisors that are asked that question. So what would you do? I think that gets people in a very tough position. Part of the reason they want to ask, now if they've been laid out with the money and what the repair is all about, is they don't want to face up to the reality that the car's done. It's it's met at the end of his life. I think there was a distinction made between 
a professional repair of the car and what a non-professional may do, like driving around to junkyards and looking for those parts or whatever a private person may do would be very different than what a professional shop can do. No doubt. Well, you uh, were telling me that your doctoral dissertation was on decision making. So I love this connection. And here's why. So my car is sitting in a lot in Wilmington, Delaware, which is 45 minutes away. I don't have anything to drive, which created another set of decisions because when I went to rent a car, it was like a monthly mortgage payment on a very nice house for one week. And I thought, so the longer I take to find another used car, because I like buying used cars, I will eventually have paid the amount of money it would cost to buy a car. There are kind of three decisions. What to do with the car that had run out of options uh, and was sitting in Greg's parking lot. The second was what to do about getting around because renting a car seemed prohibitively expensive. And the third area was the the new car. And I had used a a car broker in the past um, who was also helpful in the other two decisions. Um, And so having resources when you're faced with too many decisions can help because you're in some ways um, subcontracting out some of these decisions. I mean, I didn't know enough about the car, for example, to be able to give myself advice, but Greg did. With regard to the rental, there were a couple of options for doing that on the cheap. And eventually, when I short-circuited there and thought of calling a friend uh, but didn't want to bother her, she said, you should have called because we have four cars and three drivers in our house and we could have lent you a car. (laughs) And then the third piece of how to find a reliable used car. Um, And going back to gathering resources, Greg was very helpful in that. And so this is something that's sort of important in the service field in general. Um, In the book, Million Dollar Consulting, the author, I believe it's Alan Weiss, talks about how when people trust you in one area, they will trust you in other areas as well that are ancillary to the main service you're providing. Greg was super helpful, not just in understanding the core area that I was relying on him for, but also in what brands to look for and why on the buying side. Any service person where they have the trust of the customer could be relied on for these other things. That deepens the connection that the customer has with you. And I'll tell you something else that's interesting now that I'm thinking about it that's related to this podcast. I've told this story over and over and over again as a way of processing what happened. I've told all these people who don't live near Greg Buckley's shop about Greg Buckley's shop. There's, there's more than one. I just realized as we're talking how many people I've described this to and shared his expertise. And you know from our prior conversations that these stories matter because they're ways of a service business getting this kind of marketing that you can't pay for which is people talking about you and explaining these awesome things that have happened. So a couple of big takeaways in the last five minutes that you were getting expert advice that you trusted because you knew this individual, which goes back to why we work so hard to gain the know, like, and trust from customers. They may not appreciate why they rely on us as a service center for safe, reliable transportation, but it's almost like if something like this happens, and our expert advice, and then again, our valued opinion as to what to do next makes that even stronger. And I'm not saying that we should be looking for these kind of opportunities, but we need to be playing the right cards 
it, this opportunity ever comes up where the vehicle's on its last legs. What kind of positioning do I need to be in as a trusted service professional to help this person through this emotional time, this loss of a vehicle, money I got to spend, transportation I need? If you share something that's a personal experience of yours in a similar situation, makes a huge impact on the customer. So you're strengthening this connection. Know and like may have already happened. Trust follows that. This sharing a little bit of personal experience, which Greg and the staff at Costas both did, was very helpful. They've created this sticky relationship with me now that creates this very strong bond. But part of that is sharing even something like, oh, yeah, I had a blank and X happened. I've been there. That took 20 seconds to say, but it creates this bond with the customer. So, uh, I mean, it can enhance that bond that you already have with the, with the customer because in that moment where the person feels completely helpless, knowing that even someone in, who does this for a living has had a similar experience makes you feel like, oh, okay, so even this person had you know, felt a similar way. I know this sounds super subtle and people might think, well, what, what, you know, who cares what, what happened to me? Um, what matters is that you're creating a, a deeper connection with the client. The reason we decided to do this episode is to remind all of us on our counters and all the responsibility that we have as shop owners that issues like this can be very emotional for people and you need to help them with your expert advice and your excellent opinion. You were talking about Maslow in, in your talking points. I'm fascinated by this. It's called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. And it looks at the kind of the core needs that a human being has with the idea that when the lower level needs are met, like just uh, the physiological needs, I'm just looking at the list, shelter and food and air and water, those sort of things. Those are the most basic needs a human has. The second level are safety needs. That's personal security and other things related to just feeling safe. That can also relate to who's around you in your environment. The third level is love and belonging. The next level up is uh, esteem. And the highest level is self-actualization. So why does all of this matter? Because safety, which is related to a car... <laughs> is just above like the basic needs that a person has. When I started to drive the car and noticed this banging sound coming from the back, it sounded like there was a toolbox in my trunk and it was making this metal on metal sound. It was a Sunday. I was driving from Ventnor, New Jersey to my home in suburban Philly. I got out and I sort of checked the physical things in the car that I could pull on or push on and nothing was loose. Uh, I didn't notice until I got home that the car was riding a little bit lower on the passenger side rear. The space between the top of the tire and the wheel well was a lot lower than it was. I didn't notice that at first, though. I did notice that the steering wheel, if I held it straight, the car started to veer to the left a little bit. I forget exactly what was happening there. But I thought, well, what are you going to do? You're, there's no place open to take this car to. I really trust Costas. The local place, Tomasella's in Ventnor, which I've told you about before, is wonderful. I thought of just staying overnight and going to see them in the morning, but I thought, eh, it's not falling apart that I can tell. I'll roll the dice and drive it home. Of course, when I got home, 
I was told that that car wasn't really, wouldn't necessarily be safe to drive that way again. And by the way, I've called Greg Buckley, don't do this, but I've called Greg over a weekend and said, I'm not sure if I should drive the car, you know, whatever was going on with the car at the time. And of course, the on-call emergency physician would tell me what to do because Greg's awesome. When I was told, hey, this would need to be towed to Wilmington from Philadelphia, you shouldn't drive this. Immediately, like the little warning signs went off, like, well, why did I drive this home? Like, why did I take that risk? Because... I could have died if the car had had some kind of catastrophic failure where something, you know, it was explained to me what could have happened. The safety needs people wanting to experience this sort of predictability, control in their lives, feeling that things are safe around them. There's very few things in life that are like a car in which you witness an accident happen right in front of you, which so many people have seen live. And I've been through that multiple times where I saw someone lose control of their car or a collision. That safety need, that's just the second level of Maslow's hierarchy above physiological needs. But that's where the car is, man. Right? So, so the, the service professionals are dealing with something that's that deep in the psyche of a person is that feeling of safety um, and security and all the things that are related to it. So what do you have now? What did you replace? Car brokers suggested that I go test drive different types of cars so that I could tell him what I was looking for, and he would look for that on the wholesale market. One of the, you know, the large used car dealerships where he had asked me just to test drive two types of Acuras just so I could tell him if they were something I'd be interested in. I test drove those um, and wasn't happy with either car. I was with uh, my first cousin, who's the family car expert, and I was a little depressed. I mean, this was a few weeks into this saga. I think it was three weeks in. I was depressed about the car that, that I had, that I loved, that I would never drive again. I was depressed that I was wandering around without a car. Not that that's the worst thing in the world. I'm a realist. I understand there's bigger problems in life. And then I was depressed that I, this was the sixth dealership I'd been to. That's not really how I've bought cars in the past. I've used the car broker to find, you know, things that he's either sold through private individuals or at an auction. And my cousin, who's super patient, this is seven o'clock at night. The dealership closes at eight o'clock. We're outside and I'm like, I don't know. A friend of mine sells cars for Toyota, which was the dealer next door to this used car dealership. Went in to see Jen and uh, she was busy with a customer, but was talking me through what some options might be. Anyway, to make a long story endless, we're walking back towards this used car dealer, which was the car shop in, in Hatfield, PA. And my cousin says, look, why don't we just go back in and ask him if there's any, you know, Toyota Camrys that you could test drive or you like the Infinity, if there's any Infinities. And he mentioned Lexuses. We go back in and the person helping us, you know, does this little typing on the uh, keyboard and he says, I got a crazy car here. My cousin says, what's crazy about it? I had stopped talking. I was at that level of disgust in life. And he says, I have a 2011 Lexus with 12,000 miles on it. Whoa. Like, we got to see this. And he pulls out this silver Lexus ES350 that looks like it had never been outside or driven by a human being. There was nothing visible. There was no chips. There was no dents. There was no nothing. We opened the car up and it still smelled like a new car. Like everything, there was, I bought used cars before. So sometimes the lettering on a button that's used often will have worn off or the steering wheel has obvious signs of wear. This didn't have any of that. 
we opened the trunk. It looked like the engine had been put in. I'd like everything looked new. We took it out for a drive. I'm not accustomed to that style of luxury, quite frankly. And I'm like, I'm, I said to my cousin, if I buy this car, I'm going to have to put it in a garage and then go buy a beater because I'm afraid to drive this thing. I don't want to be, this person took such amazing care of it. I don't know that I am the right person to be entrusted with this museum piece and uh, took it over to Costas and they said, where was this? <laughs> like, where was this for 12 years that it looks like it was like in a showroom? So you went from 15 year old car to a 12 year old car with hardly any miles on it. Were you afraid of how old it was? Not in the condition that it was in and not after Costas inspected it. And I also called Greg. I called pretty much everyone. I'm surprised I didn't call you. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe uh, I was afraid to reach that deep into my, my resources. But when the mechanic looked at it and said, we can't figure out where this car was because there's no even like surface rust. There's no nothing. It looks like it was in like a temperature controlled garage for 12 years. It was in Palm Beach for 12 years and it went to the grocery store once a week. <laughs> I mean, I've driven the car more in three weeks than they did in a year. Uh, I put about 10,000 miles a year on cars pretty consistently, like over a 20 year period. I don't know if, if a crazy car was the right term for it. It was certainly uh, something that uh, was unique and special because of how well it had been taken care of. And the Carfax, as reliable as a Carfax is, I don't know. You're in that field, not me. But, you know, at like at 500 miles, they did the 10,000 mile checkup because that was the timing of it. But you think about a car that that the original tires were on it. Now, they had to be replaced the next day after I bought it. but. Like it was immaculately cared for. And that's why I feel bad because I don't have a garage. I don't have a someone who works for me who just looks after the cars. It's me. But I do feel like this was it was it was really strange. This, even going back in at a point where I was so frustrated and my cousin, but for my cousin and going to visit my friend Jen, I would have never gone back in um and found this. I mean, honestly, it's a gem. So so this story has a hell of an upside. <laughs> Amazing. Wow, what a find. So even going back to the mechanics that you trust, going back to the service professionals and getting validation for these decisions, I know for the folks in the business, you do this all the time, but the impact on an individual person of having that certainty Again, thinking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you're increasing the safety in the decision because I don't know what the hell I'm looking at, but the professionals that I chose did. And so getting the feedback about that uh, was super helpful. And of course, I'll be taking this car to them in the future, hopefully not towing it all the way to Wilmington, Delaware. <laughs> um, I will drive it down so I can visit with Greg, but I will not have it towed. Yeah, you got to show this off. Greg, Greg probably wants to see it. I got to go back to the doctor. <laughs> but uh Hopefully we got our point across to our great industry that you have a role in giving unsettling news to a client, first-time or long-term client, that they may have to walk away from a vehicle because it's just not safe. 
I know you could have put X amount of money in that, but wow, what a great down payment it could have been or relieving your cash flow without spending that money. And still, a year later, something else is going to happen to a vehicle that was in that kind of condition. And I, and I think that's one of the things that why we do deep digital vehicle inspections on vehicles, we, we are looking for this kind of stuff to either repair it before it gets worse or to find areas of that safety issue that, that you, you talk so much about. When I've been at uh, service centers where I've been waiting, I watch customers as they walk in. I'm looking at their facial expressions, and I know the service professional is too. So if you are aware of that when a customer comes in, whether it's a first-time customer or regular, the expression on the faces of people when they are unsure about something, the tire's flat, they don't know why, something's rattling, they don't know why, you're going deeper down into the more core aspects of the psychology of the person. Um, and I have noticed how when someone says, we'll look at it right away, you see the person relax a little bit because they know it's not going to be like the, the uncertainty. In, and this is similar to what happens in a doctor's office. If the doctor says, we just ran some tests, I'll tell you next Thursday, uh, and it's Monday, how it is, we go, our mind goes to the worst possible thing. In, in human psychology, we, we tend to put into a gap our worst fears. And so if service professionals, I think they understand it intuitively, quite frankly, because they deal with it all the time. But if you're listening or watching this and you just notice the expression on people's faces as you're talking to them, see the level of concern that they come in with. You can almost match your tone of voice and the words you're using in the body language to get that to come down a little bit. Because you don't want people making decisions when they're stressed out. You want them to be able to think a little bit. It helps you, by the way, as a service professional, because you're helping them make a better decision, not the fast decision. And if you think about no like, and trust, which you talked about, once you've already earned that trust, the rest of it is gravy. I don't want to put it in such crass terms, but that's where the person's not thinking before they decide what to do and pay you for it. And, and they're glad to do it. What you just said nailed the kind of training that our industry is providing our service advisors at our counters. I mean, we're, we're helping them learn to deal with the fact that there's an ache. I have an ache, doctor's office. Uh, let's see what we can do with it. My car is not working right. It's not performing like it should. We have to help them get through that. I, I don't know if you would call it agony or the fear of the unknown and how much is it going to cost thing. We almost need to have courses. You need to, why don't you travel a country and do the uh, psychology of the automotive service counter? That would be fabulous. Well, now that I have a car that only has 12,000 miles on it, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy to get on the road. <laughs> Absolutely great. Hey, thank you for being here and sharing this great story. I think this was an incredible lesson for our industry, you know, taking them inside your process and uh, the fact, yeah, you're connected pretty well and you know what's going on. There are so many people like Dr. David out there that come into shops every day in, in the country and have similar situations. This was great. Dr. Dave Wyman, Wyman Consulting, psychologist, wymanconsulting.com. And I know you learned something from this to my listener. I'm sure you did. Now go out and do something with it. Thank you, Dr. David. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time... 